Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Lindsay Lerner, and you're listening to The Cost of the Status Quo. More people than ever are questioning why they do what they do and forging their own path. And on this show, I sit down with these entrepreneurs, trailblazers, creatives, and overall awesome beings to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the overall tips and tricks they're using so that the rest of us can do the same. This is The Cost of the Status Quo. Elevate your sound game with Filbert, the perfect upgrade for your recording or office space. Our producer, Andrew, has been pushing for a better recording environment. Say goodbye to basic egg crates and hello to stylish felt tiles that not only reduce 35% of ambient noise, but also show off your unique design sense. And the best part, these tiles are made from recycled bottles, making your recording space both stylish and eco-friendly. Get 10% off at feltright.com with code CSQ10. That's CSQ10. Let's give Andrew and you, our listeners, the top-notch sound that you deserve while making a positive impact on the planet. Share your creative Feltright designs with us and join the sustainable sound revolution. Hey folks, welcome to the Cost of the Status Quo. Thank you so much for being here. Dana Wilson is with us today. Dana is a trailblazer in the financial industry with over 15 years of experience and numerous awards, including one to watch in fintech by Money 2020 and one to change the face of wealth management. She's the founder and CEO of CHIP, short for Changing How Individuals Prosper, that connects Black and Latinx professionals with customers. When she's not changing the world of finance, Dana loves traveling, running marathons, and spending time with her dog, Bryson. Get ready for an inspiring and informative episode. Listeners, you have really come through lately with all of your ratings and reviews. Please continue to do so. So take us, take us back. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, born and raised, I guess, Jersey girl, as people say. Um, proud one. I think some people are just like, eh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's always those things around being from Jersey, but I love it. Montclair was an incredible place to grow up. Uh, so I can't say I have any complaints about that part of it. It was just an amazing experience. I mean, I probably grew up around every type of person, walk of life. Um, It was such a diverse experience, diverse town. Montclair was actually one of the most diverse towns in the country. I don't think it's necessarily like that anymore. But at one point, I think it was considered that. So just to grow up in this environment, I think that definitely helped. Do you think that that impacted now how you view the world since that was just so natural to you to be amongst so many different kinds of people? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel that way. Just being around different types of people, having that openness at such an early age, never really had those moments where you were just like shocked and and surprised or didn't understand someone's culture. And I feel like that's important to feel that way, to feel open, just to know that, you know, everything is the way it's supposed to be. And having that early on definitely sets a different type of foundation when you're not restricted from from different types of people, different types of cultures, languages, sexualities, all of that. This is who people are and you appreciate them for who they are and not for the stuff that society tries to pin against you or or other people. So it's, yeah, I I definitely think it it made a difference in me uh, for sure. And so, you know, 
baby Dana's rocking around New Jersey. Was there at any point, I know you're in calling in from Jersey today. Have you ever left New Jersey? Yes, I was in North Carolina for almost about 10 years. My mother's side of the family is from there. So I had that best of both worlds going up, growing up where I was, you know, raised in Jersey, but also spent a, a ton of time in the South and then ended up, you know, go to school and then staying, uh, but also recognized that, hey, I want to be back closer to New York and, and my family and made that move back here. So I can't say I regret it so far. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. And while you were in, in North Carolina, were you always working in finance there? Is that what you studied in school or how the heck did that come into the picture? Yeah, like all good things come, come by happy accidents. So I have no complaints. I graduated uh, with a degree of marketing and that's more so what I thought my lane would be in. Like I always kind of function from that creative brain. So I can't say I was good at math, but I didn't like it. Like who really, well, actually I won't say that because a lot of people really do like math. They, they exist, they're out there. I was not one of them. I did like certain courses. I'll admit, like, I love calculus. I did well in that and like a couple other classes. My palms are sweating at the word. <laughs> yeah, but I, I yeah, it, it's, it's, it was a lot. Um, but I never really leaned fully into that analytical side, which is what I thought finance was in totality. But, you know, that's not necessarily the case, of course. Totally. I ended up getting a job at a bank, which was SunTrust Bank at the time, right after college. And I was just like, well, you know, it's a job. <laughs> and that was like the focus, right? You go to college, you get a job. It was one of those things. So, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll take this for now. And then for now has spiraled into like 16 years later. But I love it. Every time I think about the way I've been able to utilize my marketing skill set and that creative skill set, towards different avenues and arenas and sectors that I've been in the industry, it kind of paired very well and kind of giving me more of a full circle lens as opposed to feeling like, hey, I got to come in here and be super focused on numbers. And that's all this industry is. It's so much more than that. Totally. And so on that, we've, we've been having a lot of conversations on the show and at our in-person events as well around this idea of being a multi-hyphenate human being. So obviously, you are not only badass in, in finance, but you also, you know, do everything from run marathons, which I just learned today. <laughs> <laughs> Marketing, you know, every, like everything that you said. And so I'm wondering, to your point of being in the financial sector, financial space, which is very much stereotyped as, you know, suit and tie numbers. How was that accepted when you brought more of your marketing hat to the table? Was that accepted? How did people react? And what was that process like of navigating that? It was actually pretty well received. I mean, I think the thing um, that I had to get used to was just the very button up look, right? So I was in I was in banking and at that time it was literally black suit, blue suit. I think one time I popped out there with a little bit of a beige brown thing going on. <laughs> and that was and that seemed like a lot, right? That seemed like a lot at the time. I mean, now, you know, my my suit, my suit swag is just it, it's it runs the colors, which I love. Because I feel like I wasn't able to do like you, I wasn't able to be that expressive with clothing early on. And, and now that I'm in a different space, I can, you know, when I was in the bank branch, there were a lot of times where we would have our, you know, corporate marketing that we would get from corporate and we would change the things in the big branch. But then there was a lot of stuff that we, we would do as a branch that was disconnected a little bit from corporate. And when we had those opportunities, I mean, I would create the flyers for it, create little different slogans. 
that I thought was, you know, really fun and being able to flex that and also have my team, you know, be comfortable with me, with me doing that too and being supportive of it. So I think it's just a matter of putting all of your skills to use and, and utilizing and leaning into all sides of your genius, right? Like we weren't meant to do one specific thing for the rest of our lives or even in specific points of our lives. You can do multiple things as long as it all kind of fits within like the strategy of who you are, maybe personally and professionally, like outside of, yeah, so my goal, you know, I got to keep saying this out loud next year is to run the New York marathon. I think I, the more I say it I, out loud, <laughs> I will actually, you know, continue down this phase of, of doing it. I think it's setting those different types of goals and, and getting yourself out of your comfort zone constantly and just leaning into other things that you can do and you can be. I also this year, now that I have time back from, from finishing school, I've always wanted to learn how to play the acoustic guitar. That has been my thing, you know, to start practicing and, you know, probably have a recital with a bunch of five-year-olds, but that's okay. (laughs) Could you share perhaps a personal story that inspired you to even pursue a career in the financial realm? That like switch point or button for me was when I was working in banking and I will never forget, there was a woman that came into my office. I was a loan officer at the time and her husband was overseas for work and she came in with her two small kids and she was really panicked. Like she, she was out shopping and her card wasn't working or something was going on with what she was doing. So we kind of gotten all that stuff straightened out. And I remember when she left my office, I had this moment of just being like, just frightened by the whole event that kind of took place because it just seemed like in that instance, you know, she didn't know what was going on. She wasn't sure of like all the types of accounts that they had, why, you know, her card at this moment wasn't, wasn't working and was very reliant on, you know, her husband who she could not reach, right? You know, it could have not just been something where she was out shopping. It could have been for some emergency and, you know, without necessarily having that communication as a family, as a partnership, she felt very alone and vulnerable in that in that moment. And the biggest thing I took away was just never, number one, never wanting to have myself be in that situation or how, and, and from there it was like, well, how can I ensure and make sure that other women don't feel like that, don't feel that, vul- that level of vulnerability financially or just kind of in, in life general. I think that empowerment and understanding comes from sometimes the financial side of things so for me, I, in that moment, I was like, this is exactly, you know, what I want to do, how I want to help people, uh, whether that's through education or, or being an advisor. And then I ran a rabbit hole back when Amazon only sold books, which I think people forgot about. <laughs> like that was the, the one sure? thing that they did very well when they started. <laughs> and yeah, I, I literally got on Amazon and just kind of, you know, ordered a bunch of books around like money and, and finance and then made my way over to learning more about what it meant to be a financial advisor and this whole career path that I had never really heard about before. So, you know, leaned into studying more about that and then also just asking questions from those I saw within the bank. So I've been you know, in the startup realm space for you know, the last, let's call it 10 years. And I was like, okay, all the books that I've ever been given. And I went through my bookshelf and I was like, 
and you know, no shade to middle-aged white men, but literally all of the books that I was ever gifted, given, told to read or told to take instruction from were from that perspective. And I was like, huh, that was great. I learned some facts. But as soon as I went to apply those, thinking back, I was like, why aren't why aren't these things working? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> their yeah. experience is nothing like mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, those principles. I mean, a lot of the core principles, you know, make sense for most people. But then, you know, the applicable, like the stories and, you know, how to kind of do it and, and pulling it all through. It's like, it doesn't work for everyone and everyone's situation is so different. So it's like trying to see yourself reflected in these books, you know, even videos and, you know, people who were talking at the time. And, and honestly, still now, it's hard to see yourself getting to that point when no one in the room understands you or looks like you or wants you to be in the room in, in the first place. So still need a change happening. But thankfully, you know, we're getting to a point where, you know, we're pushing for that change. Exactly. And then could you walk me through what happened between all of these different jobs that you had at the bank and then now working on CHIP and the huge impact that you're having across the financial sector? I was kind of getting to a point where I was trying to figure out what, what the next thing for me really is. I mean, I, there are certain points in my career in my life where I hit certain walls and my passion for things changes or, or, or flips. And, you know, I think it's, it's really important to recognize and sit in those moments and kind of figure out why you're having them. So throughout my career, when I feel like I'm hitting that wall of, you know, what is next? Why, you know, why am I feeling this way? I just take a moment of reflection to really recognize that, you know, I loved advising. I loved working with my clients. I don't think I loved it in the way where I wanted to continue to grow the practice to where I knew it would be really, you know, lucrative and, and beneficial for the time and effort that it takes. So, you know, top of, or kind of end of like 2019 and, and top of 2020, there was obviously a lot of social unrest going on and the murder of George Floyd and just, just life in general. I mean, just being in this industry, being a woman, being a black woman, you know, I think all of that was just in that moment starting to kind of, to pull at me in a different way that I hadn't really experienced before. It never really talked about before openly. And I don't even think there were spaces where we were all really having that conversation about what it means to be in, an other continuously in a room and in an industry where it just feels like the change was not trying to happen. So, you know, I wanted to create something for really not just myself, but other advisors to feel seen, to feel heard so that their faces were seen. Because on the other side of that, I felt like when I was working with clients of color or just anyone who was considered in, in other, you just, you didn't see yourself reflected. And there were these conversations that were always happening in the background of like, oh my God, you, you exist as a black woman, as a, as a woman in this industry. And I'm like, that's not the normal reaction you should have when you see me, you know, it should just be this, it, it should just be like, Hey, this is, this is an advisor, but it was just that constant that was happening and the conversations that they felt like they could have with me was very comforting, but it was also, you know, hey, I, I wish you could have had this conversation before you met me or before you, you know, we connected so that maybe you might have felt more comfortable sharing more of your financial background. You might be further along when you felt like other people were uh, ignoring you when you were in these spaces of trying to build your wealth. And I just felt like that should, that should not exist, right? That people should not feel like that, whether or not you're in the industry or you're on the retail consumer side of the industry. 
So leaping into Chip was really about, you know, starting a directory, um, making it very visible. I wanted people to see the faces of these black and brown individuals and know that there, there's room for you in this industry and also just as a consumer for someone who might better understand your cultural values and norms. And then from there, you know, there was just this internal feeling of this is it, like this is what I should be doing, leaning more into that. I just kept it going. This is the, the, the start to a, a really full scalable startup and something that I knew I wanted to continue and dive deeper into and really see where this can go. And I felt like there was a big need for what was taking place in the industry and then also where I was trying to go. I know we got a lot of folks who listen who are very interested in the in the weeds, teeny tiny details. Can you run me through staying in the weeds, but also an overview simultaneously of how how chip works and functions and how you envision the role of technology existing in this space moving forward. So in the, yeah, in the, in the quick weeds of things uh, for chip, consumers, you know, can come to our platform and really just dive into our, our questionnaire, which we're actually in the process of updating our platform, which is really, really exciting. But you can fill out a questionnaire and based on those questions of whether or not you are comfortable working with someone virtually or in person, or, you know, you have a pronoun preference. Um, And then based on like your goals that you have, maybe your first two financial goals, we help to kind of try to pattern match you or pair you with someone who might be your best fit and make the most sense for you. And, you know, that's something that you can come back to. We know not every match or conversation is going to be perfect, but we want people to just be in the room, right? We want people to know that no matter where you're starting in your financial journey, there is someone within this industry that can help you. It's not just for people who are ultra wealthy or, you know, have these large, you know, salaries. It's, it, you know, the, the financial in- services industry is for everyone and you have to start somewhere, right? You have to be comfortable starting somewhere. Uh, on the flip side of that, you know, our professionals go through a similar type of questionnaire or more so an application process. You know, we're making sure that, you know, obviously we're, we're doing our own due diligence on, on that end and partnering with different firm partners and corporate partners to ensure that we're, you know, getting the right people on our platform. But we want to ensure that people are able to build out and scale their financial team. I feel like that's truly important uh, to have and to utilize, right? Like a lot of wealthy people have teams. Like, so why doesn't everyone else (laughs) have a team surrounding them? I mean, I think we're all starting to get tired of reading those stories where maybe they had an advisor, but they didn't have an estate planner. So someone passed away and there was no will, right? And no one knew about it, right? Like it's, we can't keep having these conversations and having, you know, these praying hand emoji moments where we feel bad, <laughs> right? It, like that, that's what it is, uh, where we feel bad when we see these stories and it's just like, God, I, you know, I wish you had been surrounded, you had been covered, um, you had been hugged financially in a way where your partner is okay, your, your spouse is okay, wh- whatever that looks like, we want to make sure that you have that wraparound. And that's really the greater and the, the bigger vision outside of like a multitude of other things that we want to pull into the space and the platform and the effect that we hope to have on the industry. Right now, if folks are interested in getting involved with CHIP or signing up, what does that process look like? You know, we're, we're going through this next phase in, the, in this next build out, but you can still 
reach out from a partnership perspective. You know, we actually just announced a really mm-hmm. big partnership today with One Digital. So we're really excited to partner with different companies who are excited about what we're doing, building in different paths for you know racial equity within financial services and making more room and more space for other individuals who have not been seen, not had their voice come to the table and helping us to do that in really different and creative ways. So partnering with firms, partnering with different companies who maybe you don't have, you know, professionals or, or financial professionals on your platform uh, to onboard to to our site, but that's okay. If you want to support our our mission through sponsorship, like those are conversations that we're having with companies as well. Just a matter of reaching out and, you know, you can connect with me via email at info at, at chipprofessionals.com and get to me really, really quickly. But it's, you know, simple reaching out there or, uh, you know, via LinkedIn. But yeah, this is the space where we want to to grow our partner relationships with not just firms or other companies, but also with other fintechs. I think at the end of the day, a lot of us are trying to solve the same the same problem, which is the larger problem around around just the equity and, and inclusion. And it's better to do that together and find opportunities where we can partner because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'd rather just lean on someone else's genius <laughs> that they've already built and figure out a path towards, hey, you're doing this thing, I'm doing this thing. Like, where are the gaps and how do we utilize each other? Because it's this is less of a space about competition and more of a space about collaboration. But as long as we all come in with that same mindset and understanding for the greater cause and what we're all trying to truly achieve, I think that makes for a better space in financial services, in fintech, and just in the greater ecosystem of what we can all build and be equally as successful together, as opposed to, you know, trying to pin our companies against each other. Hey, that's why we get along. We share the same ethos, I think, and the same perspective in that. One question from that would be, from this perspective of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, all the other, you know, acronyms that have have since... (laughs) Since come oh, out, yeah, all of them. Probably <laughs> some I don't even know yet. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's a new one every single day. And so, through that lens, rather, from what I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, a majority of the financial institutions and financial structures that have been created have created the systemic problems that we're all now struggling with, especially when it comes to black and brown folks. Like everything has been created to systemically basically just marginalized all other all other groups. <laughs> so how to your point about collaborating and working together, how do you convince people in this capitalistic westernized world that we're living in right now, how do you convince people to believe in that mission and continue to move forward in that way when it might not be the most, you know, financially advantageous? Oh yeah, you, you don't. You know, I've spent my entire almost 39 years now being black and being a woman. And and I think the one thing that I've learned just to that experience is that you just, you, you stop convincing people that you matter. <laughs> like I wake up every day and I know that I am important and that my face and my values in that being seen in a certain way, you know, belong in the same space as everyone else. And that's just how I was raised uh, to believe and raised to know there's just some people you're not going to convince and nor should you have to. 
you know, a lot of people who feel marginalized or are marginalized in this country, we're just, you know, at a point where we're tired. Like, I'm, I'm tired of explaining to you why, why I'm important, why my being, why me as a human is someone who also should be looked at in the same vein as everyone else, as, you know, every, every, every other person. And it's exhausting and it's tiring and it's mentally, emotionally and spiritually draining. You can't convince everyone of that. And I mean, we've, you know, seen a multitude of examples of that throughout time and throughout history and and all of those things included. I think it's just a matter of finding those individuals and, you know, leaning into all that you are and finding the people who also believe that it is important. And those are the people that you pour into because they're pouring that same energy into you. And, you know, those people exist, right? Like not everyone is going to come to the table and feel like, hey, you know, well, why, why you, why are you doing this? Why is this <laughs> company even important? So you like, you know, all of the things or, you know, all the stereotypes that black and brown people don't have money or, if you're building your business around, you know, black and brown individuals or, you know, very specific communities, like where, where is the money going to come from, right? There's still all these different stereotypes. And the thing about it is just that people have money, people have the ability to do it. It's just that we haven't had the access and the opportunities to do so. And that's why no one has really seen all the things that I myself or other founders or other just other people in this world are capable of because we just haven't necessarily had the opportunity to be at the table. So when I talk about partnership and collaboration, it's more so, you know, all the cliches that you heard, right? People building their own table, they're breaking up what those old tables used to be be like. And it doesn't have to be a round or straight or square table. It's it's gonna look <laughs> it's it's gonna look a little funky and that damn cool. table. It's a da- exactly. It is a damn table, and it and it works, and you can put stuff on it, and you continuously put stuff on it, and it gets stronger and stronger, which e- with everything that sits on it, and that's really where most of us are. And you will find, you know, those companies who say, "Hey, I I, I get it. I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I want to be supportive of that." And you surround yourself continuously with those types of individuals. And it's been a beauty to see, I think, the more that I have kind of come into myself personally and professionally, I have I've found that you can continue to maybe put your head down and like let it fill you up with anger and all the things. But I don't think that gets you anywhere either. Right. Like that kind of stops you from putting yourself out there to find those individuals because. No one wants to sit across the table from someone who is just constantly angry. I mean, we, we you know, I, I definitely have a lot of things all the time to be angry about and to not even want to get up in the get up in the morning about. Right. But who, who is that going to help? Who, who is angry Dana going to help? Angry Dana can't do anything. Right. But be angry. So you have to find yourself in these places where you see hope, you see change. You know that there's other people out there who also see the same things. And, and those are the people that you surround yourself with constantly in your personal and professional life. Yes. Leaning into that and not leaning into, <laughs> but you're a female founder. I mean, that's, isn't that why you should get, just get money? You're, you check it a box. You know, we give words power in the definitions that we, that we're having to kind of unlearn. Right. And, you know, pushing the boundaries on what it means to be a woman, what it means to be feminine and kind of pushing back on that. Like it is what you want it to be. Right. And the first step of that is having is taking that first step and actually having the having the awareness of what that is. That's the biggest struggle for most people. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It is. It's it's the it's the awareness part first is getting to the point where you can be self-aware, which builds up your confidence to walk into those rooms and be who you are and, and show up in your most authentic self that makes you comfortable. Because at the end of the day, you know, you are the one for the most part who is going to be leading the charge and leading the ship. And you want to be as comfortable in yourself and as confident as you can be when you're sitting there and you're needing to make decisions and you're, you know, needing to be a leader and separate that founder mentality from that CEO mentality because they're two different types of mentality that we don't talk about enough and let go a little bit and and delegate and bring people on and share in that genius with others. And, you know, being fully self-aware will help you get to those spaces. But yes, until you're kind of able to really do that and have those reflective moments, it's going to be hard for you to push forward in the way uh, that you want to. That shows everyone else how amazing you are. And do you have any practices that you incorporate, whether it's day to day, week to week, year by year, that assist you in that personal growth? Yeah, absolutely. It's a combination of things. It's the gym every morning. It's having routine. It's meditation. It's leaning into creative spaces. So it's continuously pushing my body and my brain to certain limits, you know, doing the marathon, allowing myself to be in these creative spaces of learning how to play the the guitar, giving myself the space to learn more and grow more and, and meditate and get rest. Sleeping is, mm. is important. Having a sleep routine is important. Some nights I like to get in the bed at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock if I can. And I know that like sounds like crazy, but if you have productive days, like there are times that you're able to do that or just taking a nap if you need to during the day and stepping away, like that does wonders to your restart. Even if, even if it's not you taking a full nap, like some days it's not realistic for me, but If I find myself like I'm stuck in front of my computer, I can't focus. It's just like, hey, let's step away for a half an hour. Maybe you just need to sit quietly or maybe you just need to put a random show on and then come back to it. But it's it's recognizing in those moments. It's therapy. It's all of the things that allow you to talk things out in a very healthy, healthy manner. It's never just one specific thing. It's just the wraparound stuff that you do setting boundaries. (laughs) Like, you know, we don't, we don't talk enough about boundary setting. I will exhaust that word to the death. I think more and more, depending on your, your circle of friends, you may be talking about them, but I would say across the board, it's not necessarily something that we're all talking about. And, you know, I've gotten made fun of in certain social situations, whether it's about therapy or taking breaks or, you know, all of these ridiculous, ridiculous things. I mean, talk about boundaries. (laughs) So it's, it's obviously, you know, those are not the rooms of people that I'm going to spend any more time in than what has already been spent, but also being able to allow and create the space for people to be more open-minded and to understand that all of those things that you mentioned, therapy, going to the gym, meditation. I mean, there's so many different iterations of all of those things that you can learn about and that you can invest your time in to then make yourself a better human so that you then can show up as a better human across the board. And and I'm like, the people who make fun are the ones who secretly wish they can do all the things. That's why they make fun. And they haven't truly allowed themselves to tap into their full selves because some people don't really want the mirror held up to them. But that's a whole nother conversation and probably a podcast episode. 
I mean, you can make fun of me all day. I will take a nap in a second. I also work, will carry around my vitamin, my vitamin pill pack. So call me what you want to, but if it's not broke, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't. Could you elaborate and share a challenge or perhaps many challenges that you've faced that may be tied to the same thing around I mean, you're a leader in the financial industry right now. And so I'm sure you face dozens of challenges every day, every minute of every day, especially when you're showing up as authentically as I know you do. And that's, you know, it's, I think that it's, I am always impressed and inspired by folks like yourself who show up, you know, you're the same Dana, whether I hit you up via text message or I go on LinkedIn and I see you in your power suit talking about finance. Like that's amazing. And I would love to see more and more of that. That's the world in which I would love to exist in is people being really able to wholeheartedly show up to what they're doing, both personally and professionally. Is there a specific challenge that you faced that you had really tactical, had a tactical approach of how you overcame it? I think the biggest thing for me was just overcoming my own, my own roadblocks, right? I think a lot of times it's less about what the outside world believes of you, but it's more about what you believe of yourself. And, you know, I was always scared of of failure and I had to work through, uh, and this was years ago, working through what I thought failure was and what it meant for me to fail. And I remember I read a book called The Fear of Failure and it just kind of changed my perspective around words and and how I define things. So I think once I got past, you know, I worked through that and, and redefined that for myself. The second thing was the fear of failing publicly which I think are two different things, right? It's okay to, you know, start a little side project in the corner of your house and maybe you share share it with a couple friends, but you don't share it too loud because you're afraid of what will happen and you don't want to jinx things. But it's a whole nother thing. And, and we all do it. Like I, you know, I am always a work in progress. It's a totally different animal when you throw something into the world and you throw something into the world in a way where everyone sees it. And that could be a multitude of things. It could be, you know, it could be a startup. It could be a business. It could be, you know, I don't know, you having kids and it it not working out right. It it, it could look like whatever it looks like for that person. But I feel like once you get past that, you are literally unstoppable because it, it does not matter what the world's opinion of you is and how they want to define you. You have already defined all of that for yourself. And it's not failing. It's just that this particular thing, for whatever reason, did not work out. And that is okay. And like, that is okay. And we get so caught up in in trying to, you know, save face and and deal with shame of, of like things that come with what, whatever that feeling is and the guilt of it, and maybe the time wasted and all these things that we kind of put on ourselves and on our, on our minds and our hearts that makes us, you know, get to a point where we are stressed and we are not sleeping, right? It spirals into all these different places of even, you know, depression and, and all of that. But I think once we we truly start to take control as best as we can of those moments and being able to just put what you believe your genius is or something personal into the, into the world that makes you very vulnerable, you are actually taking so much power back that you didn't even realize that you had inside of you. And with, you know, the more and more you do that, you're able to build more confidence. 
And with that confidence comes the ability to try more things and to continue to put yourself out, out there in a way that you probably wouldn't have. Wholeheartedly agree. I know I had my first business when I was still in college when I started it. And I was so naive and quite frankly, ignorant. And I got so far. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? This is great. <laughs> I, I didn't even know what the what the worst case scenario was. It was that similar mentality to what you just said. It was like, yeah, I mean, the worst case scenario is I learn a bunch of stuff and I meet a bunch of people. And then when the truly worst case scenario did happen and I did have to shut that business ha- down, I did freak out and I did throw that tantrum that you're, <laughs> that, you're that you're talking about. And I felt bad and sad and depressed. And I thought no one would ever want to be my friend again. And they only wanted to work with me because of that business. And then I think the most inspiring part about it was the fact that even without the business, they just liked me and they still wanted to work together. And they said, hey, whatever you're doing next, count me in. You have more champions than you know. And I think I've had to come to a place of that too, where you think that, oh, well, you know, if if this doesn't work out or something doesn't work out, then everyone's just going to leave you and they're going to think you're stupid. Absolutely not. <laughs> like it's it's all the things that we put on ourselves where, where, where it's all internal and the external side of it, people are like, oh my God, I wish I had the, you know, the confidence to, to do that thing. And, you know, you have all these champions because at the end of the day, like people get it, like, but to be able to, <clears throat> to put yourself out there, to, to make those connections, to, you know, find those champions and those individuals who want to see you successful um, and who are so invested in you, not because of the thing that you're doing, but because you had the confidence to do it. It's never the thing. It's the stuff before. It's that gravitas that we all need to adopt in ourselves. Michelle Obama has been so open about talking about minor self-confidence and, and you know, Barack always sending her those kind of championship notes. And it's like, you look, you know, I look at Michelle and I'm like, man, like Michelle is amazing. That level of vulnerability and realness that even someone of her stature and brilliance still has these self-confidence moments that she goes through is something that we all just need to be aware of. We do ask every awesome human who comes on the show two questions, and they are, what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? And of course, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? There are certain instances where you're surrounded by certain people and they have this like external view of what they want you and your life to look like. I was being pulled into another direction that would not have been in my zone of genius it was more so, hey, you know, I know you're over here doing this thing, but maybe you need to look at going back and, and doing some more full-time stuff and getting back into this this corporate space, which I get the, you know, I have the appreciation and, and the understanding for it, but hindsight 2020, like had I done that, I would not <laughs> have had exposure to a lot of the things that I do now. Maybe life would be a smidget sexier, but what would that really have done for the vision that I had and for my zone of genius? Like I was, I would have been totally off of the road in the path that I was, I was meant and supposed to be on. And so lay it on us. What's the, what's the best piece of advice? 
how I even got into banking was because of our last career fair at my school. So literally not too far, a couple months before we were about to graduate, my career counselor at the time told me specifically to go by the SunTrust booth because they were hiring. And I had looked at her and I'm like, why do you want me to do that? Because we literally just had this entire conversation about how I wanted to go into either like marketing or advertising, or I was really interested in pharmaceutical sales because I was in North Carolina. And at that time, like that was the big thing to go into. And I really wanted to work at GlaxoSmithKline. I was in the Research Triangle Park area of North Carolina, which was booming in, in pharmaceuticals. Those were kind of where my mind was. But her advice to go over there and drop off my resume was probably the best advice. And it wasn't just the act of dropping off my resume because they were hiring. It was about giving me the opportunity to be open to an industry that I had not even had in my mind, right? Like, had I not done that, I like, I don't know what necessarily what career path I would be on. I definitely wouldn't probably have landed in the way of getting to this point and, and getting to where I would have been. But it was the openness of saying, hey, why don't you try that and just see? And I think just that little push and curiosity in me led me to do it, the act of actually dropping off my resume them calling and me accepting the position and then me continuously being open and curious throughout my journey in this industry. So I think without that piece of just very direct advice, but behind the direct advice, it was just kind of like be open to other to other possibilities. We could all use some more of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You never you never know. You never want to say, hey, that's not for me because you you don't know what's for you in some moments. Exactly. Uh, well, Thank you so much for sharing your stories today and your adventures and the ups and downs and everything in between. And I can't wait to share this with everyone else. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing and all the opportunities that that come my way. I do not take them for granted. And, you know, always, always happy to come back uh, and, and do more of these conversations. Thank you for listening to The Cost of the Status Quo and learning the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at costofthestatusquo.com or on Instagram at costofthestatusquo. If you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com or on Instagram at Lindsay Lerner. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.